Walking Dharma Podcast, the podcast where we attempt to demystify classical spiritual teachings and apply them to modern day living. I'm your host, Kristen Coyle. Today's episode is called The Art of Purification. And today we're going to dive deeply into the yogic niyama or observance of shaucha. Shaucha translates as cleanliness or purification. And it is an important component for everyone alive, everyone embodied, not just yogis, but literally purification is an essential part of being in a body. Think about it. The body has to purify itself every day, every few hours, so we don't build up with toxins and become ill. And a lot of times when we think of cleanliness, uh, most of us only think of cleanliness in the material realm. So that is one of the ways actually to observe cleanliness is to keep the house clean and free of clutter, to beautify your surroundings in a way that helps the mind flow rather than get distracted on all of the trivial things around it. Another obvious form of cleanliness or purification is by moderating our diet by being selective of what we put in our body, knowing that it will have a ripple effect into all of the tissues and cells of our body. And the more toxic the body is, normally the more muddled the mind is as well. Think about it. If you've ever done a cleanse, you can notice that after the cleanse, you feel a whole lot more clarity than you did before you began the cleanse. And this is shaucha or cleanliness at the very base level. And the Yoga Sutras actually says in Sutra 240, by purification arises disgust for one's own body and for contact with other bodies. And this sutra is a pretty heavy one to unpack at face value. And it's taken me months to want to unpack it because I've had to contemplate it so deeply for myself. What does this mean? And... I think in modern times, we have to translate this a little bit more loosely. Back in the day where yogis were renunciates and they became celibate, this sutra made a lot of sense. By purifying your mind and your body, you no longer crave contact with other bodies, meaning you no longer crave sexual union. You no longer crave excessive stimulus from others. You no longer crave needing anyone else, essentially, to sustain your happiness. But in modern times, most of us are householders, which means we're going to have partners, we're going to be doing the day-to-day duties of being with others or having a family or whatever it might be, even relating with co-workers. So we have to translate this sutra a little more loosely. And the way that I've kind of surmised this is that when we purify ourselves through our actions, through also moderating the thoughts we allow to have over for dinner, so to speak, and through getting very clear on our intentions and allowing them to come from our heart, when we purify ourselves in these ways, all of a sudden we're no longer greedy to attain affection from others. Rather, we become capable of receiving it, but we don't need it. And we no longer need to 
have a lot of attention, so to speak. We no longer need a lot of material experiences to find happiness or contentment, if you will. So when the sutra says, by purification arises disgust for one's own body and for contact with other bodies, for us modern day practitioners, it's more about letting go of excess greed, excess desire towards having that contact with other bodies, right? It's like going from needing to have 10 sexual partners or 10 people who are always around you, worshiping and adoring you, to only having one partner and to being moderate with your sexual energy with that person. And it's like, whoa, I thought we were talking about cleanliness and we just went straight to sex. But this is a really important point, if you will, on purification is that if we have a lot of contact, sexual contact, a lot of our vital energy gets drained out through that. Now, sex can lead us towards heightened spiritual states if it's done in moderation with really clear intentions to go in that direction, to find that deep heart connection, to go really deep with one person. But if we're dispersing that sexual energy all around or having too much of it, a lot of our vital, what we call ohas, or this vital life force energy that we can build up if we use moderation, it suddenly gets dispersed if we abuse it. And cleanliness and purification is actually about helping you become more concentrated, more potent as a human being. And generally, the more desires that you have, the more dispersed you are because you'll be spending all of your time chasing those desires around rather than staying one-pointed and focusing on what you really want to do or not to do. So through purification of our body, through purification of the people around us, meaning we don't just let every single person into our bed, through being discerning, suddenly not only does the body get a little bit clearer, but so does the mind. And purification really starts at the mind because if the mind is in a good alignment, and what do I mean by that? If the mind is in a good alignment, I mean, if we are really aligned with our highest intentions, then suddenly we might not crave eating french fries every single day. Whereas I know for myself, if I'm in a tough place, the first thing I want to reach for is unhealthy food that doesn't necessarily help me get clearer. In fact, it only muddles me more. It makes me more tired. And this is a really obvious example. Whether you assign belief systems to food or not, if you eat a huge breakfast of pancakes, you're probably going to want to take a nap afterwards. Pancakes cause nap effect, right? Whereas if you start your day with a green juice and maybe something really healthy like some fresh fruit, you're probably going to feel energized and ready to charge the day. And again, green juice cause energize, charge the day effect. So part of observing shaucha is understanding how our actions ripple into our future energetic levels, our energetic abilities to accomplish the tasks at hand. And so for the yogi, the ultimate task at hand is to reach self-realization, is to understand the deepest workings of the soul and our purpose here on earth. 
And there's no way that we can even begin to attempt that if our mind is muddled. And again, the mind could be muddled because the body is toxic. The mind could be muddled because of the company we're keeping or maybe too much company. Think about this. If you go out and socialize for day after day, how much energy does that leave you to focus on what you actually want to do in your life? Very little. And so part of purification is self-discipline. It's the ability to know when to go out and socialize or when to eat those french fries because it's just it's time to do that for whatever reason. But also to know when to stay in and do computer work and drink green juice or eat quinoa and vegetables rather than a great big steak, right? So purification goes hand in hand with discernment. And discernment by nature is just our ability to sift through what is right for us in that moment. And it's really important to bear in mind that what is right for us in one moment might not be right for us the next day. And so we have to understand that discernment is in fluctuation. One day this is right, the next day the total opposite is right on. If we try to always hold ourselves to one thing being right, we also grow stagnant because the belief systems get crystallized within us and we start to try to uphold that. And in my opinion, anytime we try to uphold a belief system, we're also muddling our mind because now we're living from a past imprint that we've placed upon ourselves or that others have placed upon us rather than living from our ability to be present, discern, and decide what's going to lead us towards our own highest health, our own highest goals and intentions, our own highest relationships. And this is a really huge thing is basically self-discipline equates to controlling the mental cravings. Mental cravings are another word for desires. The more desires we have, the more we want to run around chasing them. And the more time we spend running around chasing those desires, the more dispersed our energy is. So a big part of purification is about how we become a little bit more concentrated, a little bit more or a lot more potent as the being that we are. And Yoga Sutra 241 goes on to say, Moreover, one gains purity of sattva, cheerfulness of mind, one-pointedness, mastery over the senses, and fitness for self-realization. And this, this goes deeper. It's, it's saying once you purify the body, once you're able to let go of cravings for things that you know don't serve you or don't help you reach the goals you're trying to accomplish, once you find that self-discipline within the material, physical realm, be it with yourself or with relating with others or with how many desires you chase or don't chase, suddenly the heart will follow suit. Suddenly the mind follows suit. So I'll break the sutra down kind of piece by piece. Moreover, one gains purity of sattva. And the energy of sattva is basically the energy of being balanced, of being in a really good, peaceful, healthy place. And when we gain purity of sattva, it means that we are naturally able to abide in that place of inherent wholeness. 
So even if the world is pulling us in all kinds of directions, we remain centered within ourselves. We remain grounded within our intentions. And so for example, I know for myself, my intentions are to keep my body strong. So I practice postures and I hike a lot. My intentions are to keep my body clear by eating food that I know serves me the best and without getting into the nuts and bolts of that, right? Because diet is so very personal for each and every one of us. Sattva is the idea that we remain mentally in equilibrium. So even if something comes along that triggers us, we don't jump on it and and react. Rather, we're able to observe it, much like a meditative awareness, just simply watching what comes up in our mind. But because we're grounded in that balanced, whole feeling state, we don't have to jump on that trigger. Rather, we're able to discern for ourselves what the best course of action is based on all the abilities we have. And then we follow that. Okay, so purity of sattva means that we're able to remain in that healthy, whole, balanced place, no matter what. The sutra goes on to say, one gains cheerfulness of mind. And that goes back to staying in that sophic state, saying even if we're triggered, even if we're challenged, it doesn't have the same hold on us anymore because we've done the purification work. We've worked with self-discipline. We've become clear on our intentions. We've learned how to moderate our responses to challenging scenarios means we're able to stay cheerful. We're able to stay essentially positive or at least life affirming, even when things get a little bit too real. The sutra also says one gains one pointedness. And we've touched on this a little bit already, but the clearer our mind is, the clearer our body is, the clearer our intentions are, the easier it will be for us to focus And that's essentially what one-pointedness means. It means that we are able to concentrate on a single point of attention and follow through with it. And the easiest place to work on being one-pointed is in a yoga practice. It's like, great, all these poses are happening in your body, but what about your breath? That's why I know when I teach, I insist that everyone uses the ujjayi breath while they practice until we get to easier portions of practice. And it's not because of a power trip, but it's because the ujjayi breath, that audible sound with the breath, you know, when we engage the back of the throat and breathe in and out of the nose, it has a way of bringing the mind and our awareness into a one-pointed state. And there's a really deep power in that when we're able to stay one-pointed no matter what's spiraling around us. So take the metaphor of the poses as you're doing the yoga postures All these different actions are happening in the body. There might be people around you in practice. The teacher's telling you to do things. And your awareness is definitely focused on that. But because of your dedication to the breath, there is a deeper part of you that is holding focus on the breath no matter what else happens around you. Even if you're falling out of a pose, if you can still focus on the breath, that's a good sign. It means that you have dedicated your intention so deeply to focusing on the breath that no matter what happens, you're grounded in it. And that's an indication of shaucha or cleanliness on the level of the mind. The sutra goes on to say, 
one gains mastery over the senses. And that these all feed into one another, each one, right? Mastery over the senses means even if you see distractions around you, they don't have to infiltrate what you're doing. It's kind of like if you're driving and someone next to you is honking at you and yelling at you, you don't have to feed that energy. Rather, you can just keep your eyes on the road and carry on the way that you are, right? Another example of mastery over the senses is when you go to the grocery store and you see the case full of cakes and you see the the wine aisle full of wine and you're able to overlook those things and go straight to the vegetables, straight to the things that you know that you came in there for that are going to serve you. Now, with that being said, sometimes you went in there to get that cake and in that case, you go straight to the cake without any guilt, and you get the cake. Mastery over the senses doesn't mean that you have to be one way. It doesn't mean you need to be that great yogi in isolation, in celibacy, meditating all the time, eating one meal a day or whatever it is. Mastery over the senses means that you actually decide when you indulge, you decide when you're more austere, you consciously choose for yourself what you want for yourself right? And mastery over the senses comes not only through purification, but also through pratyahara, also through being able to draw the senses inwardly into oneself and illuminate the inner body through your awareness. And so many times our senses are always out in the world. It's kind of like letting everything distract us, right? It's like when our senses are way out in the world, every little thing that happens in the external makes huge ripples on our internal radar. But if we become capable of drawing our senses inwardly, taking a look inside, then we root our awareness somewhere very deep within ourselves. Some people would call that being able to witness. Rather than be attached, we witness things go on. We realize that even if our body is in action, we're actually at the deepest soul level, not doing anything, kind of in this eternal, crystallized, divine state. And we simply watch the wheel of life roll on around us and we participate, but we don't get sucked into it. We don't get pulled down by the hard times. Neither do we get too elated or what's the word perhaps, maybe too anxious about things that might be more peak experiences. Rather, we work on finding that balanced state. Of course, we're able to feel stoke. Of course, sadness is going to come up. But we also, no matter what, can remember that there is this part of ourselves that is always watching everything else go on. And this really is the supreme self, which we would call the spirit embodied It's that little seed of the divine that's planted in each and every one of our hearts. And if we can touch that part of ourselves, and how do we touch that part of ourselves? Through self-discipline, through doing the spiritual practices, the purification arises. So rather than getting overly attached to all the thoughts in the mind, all the emotional fluctuations, suddenly we can attach or root our awareness into the witnessing faculty we all are capable of finding. And if we root into that witnessing faculty, then we begin, we begin to gain mastery over our senses, which means that we're no longer obsessed with achievements. We're no longer obsessed with having everything we want. We no longer are greedy for it. 
Rather, we simply enjoy the experiences that life has to offer us. Easy come, easy go. The sutra goes on to complete itself by saying, one gains fitness for self-realization. And this is the case in point. Why would we do all of these spiritual practices? Why would we go hiking out in the woods up a mountain, even when our legs are burning and we feel that resistance? Why would we choose to have one partner when maybe we could have 10? Why would we choose to eat food that we know serves us personally rather than what's put in front of us because it's easy? Why would we choose to be challenged in these ways? It's so we can purify the mind. Purifying the mind means to no longer believe all, every single rubbish thought that comes across your radar. Purifying the mind is kind of like being able to put the phone down or being able to put that glass of alcohol down, or being able to put the joint down or whatever it is for you and be like, you know what? I actually don't need anything to muddle my reality right now. Rather, what I'm choosing for myself is to sit with what I feel, to sit with this experience without altering myself. Just sit with it and feel it fully because there's a natural high in every single experience we can have. It's up to us whether we allow those experiences to touch us deeply or not. And when I say allow those experiences to touch us deeply, I mean to face life without blinders on. And I know for myself personally, anytime challenges arise in the day-to-day, I want to put blinders on. And putting blinders on can come in many forms. It could come in the form of a substance. It could come in the form of overly socializing so my energy is dispersed and I have other people telling me how awesome I am so I don't have to face the feeling that I don't feel awesome in that moment. Putting blinders on can mean traveling all around the world, running from yourself until one day you realize you're always with yourself no matter what. Putting blinders on can mean hiding behind a partner to protect you from the challenges that you're going through, whatever it might be. The idea of purification or shaucha is about taking those blinders off. It's about being willing to sit with whatever experiences are coming up. It's, it's kind of like being on an airplane whenever you're going through a storm, right? I had this experience a few years ago. I was flying from Honolulu to Taipei and it was a 10-hour flight And all of a sudden, I looked out the window and there was a big lightning storm just over to the left of us. And we're right in the middle of the Pacific Ocean. And my mind started to go crazy. I started to think, oh my goodness, the plane's going to be struck down with lightning. Oh my goodness, what's going to happen to us? Oh my goodness, we're getting closer to the lightning. And I started to spiral into this kind of sensory overload. And fear was definitely present. And I looked over at my friend I was traveling with, and she was peacefully asleep there. She looked like a child, so happy and content sleeping. And suddenly I had this realization that it's my choice how I go through these experiences. I can go through these experiences on the outer rung of my awareness, letting every strike of lightning throw me off and terrify me and make me go into doomsday scenarios. 
Or I can go through that turbulent airplane experience, peaceful like a child, rooted in the inner witness within myself, and simply observe it play out. And this was a big moment for me, because in that moment, with five hours left to go on that flight, I was either going to spiral into a total panic attack, or I was simply going to relax and watch it happen. And somehow, through my higher mind, my higher guidance, I chose to relax and let it happen. And interestingly, as soon as I relaxed into the fact that we were driving or flying near a big lightning storm over the middle of the Pacific Ocean, as soon as I just surrendered to that reality, the storm stopped and the stars came out again. And although this actually happened to me, This is a big metaphoric teaching. It's like as soon as we just get into that witnessing state, all of a sudden that emotional storm, all of a sudden all these crazy thoughts coming up, all of a sudden the inner critic has to take a back seat or has to fade away completely because we, again, through our own clarity, through our own discernment, have chosen something different for ourselves. And that choosing something different is simply our willingness to go through whatever experience life throws at us in a way that is rooted in our own serenity, rooted in the fact that we know no matter what, things always work out the way they need to. And this is sometimes a hard thing to digest, especially if we've had a really rough path in life or if we've seen a lot of our success all of a sudden disintegrate into feeling like we're starting over again or whatever phase you may be in. It's easy to let the senses and the mind run wild with all kinds of inner critic talk. Purification is partially about letting go of that inner critic and again and again choosing love, choosing awareness, choosing discernment so that we can decide for ourselves how we want to conduct ourselves. Because this is the one thing that we actually have control over in this existence. We don't have control over the external. We don't have control over others, but we do have control over ourselves. And this is a really big key. If we don't have control over ourselves, the universe is going to run wild with us and have a play date. But if we begin to find a little bit of self-control, suddenly we become capable of molding our experience. Because by and large, our experiences are shaped by our attitude. Our experiences are shaped by the thoughts we allow to sit at the table with us, so to speak. So the sutra says, once again, Moreover, one gains purity of sattva, cheerfulness of mind, one-pointedness, mastery over the senses, and fitness for self-realization. And basically, this means that we just need to surrender. Another essential component of purity is to moderate or monitor what we say and do. So it's like being willing and committed to be in truthfulness. It's being willing and committed to remain in a loving state towards others, even if the mind is telling us opposite. It's like sometimes when you're sitting with your friends and you feel like you want to gossip about another friend because something has happened that's triggered you. It's about willingly choosing not to do that and saying, you know what, I'm committed to staying pure. And part of that purity is to not bring negative energy towards others. 
So we've been talking a lot about how to clear that negative energy that we might find aimed at ourself through having a muddled mind or a toxic body. But purity also comes in with how we relate with others, how we treat others. And so this is obvious, but how many of us really practice it? It's like, don't say something about someone else if you wouldn't like that energy to to be returned back to you. And albeit tempting, well, who will know? Well, the universe knows. Your energetic blueprint will hold that energy. And whatever we're receiving out in the world, oftentimes is a byproduct of how we have treated others as well. And so if you feel like other people are looking down on you or talking down to you, take a look at yourself. Have you done that in this lifetime to others? And if not in this lifetime, maybe a past life, right? So we benefit greatly just by becoming interested in purifying our mind. If living a life of love, of being like a bodhisattva, always committed to helping alleviate suffering within others and ourselves naturally, suddenly we realize that there is every opportunity available to us. I've, I've been learning that here in San Francisco. It's like I've been trying to find jobs since we've relocated here from Hawaii a month ago. And I've noticed that the more love I come with, the more I just open my heart, rather than feeding that inner critic, which is the muddled mind saying, oh, you're not as good, and what have you been doing? And instead of feeding those thoughts, that inner hater, I've been feeding the idea of come with love. Let the purity of your own heart shine through. And I have been met with success by doing that. People are drawn to that. Because who isn't drawn to someone with a wide open heart? Because if your heart is open and clear and pure and your intentions are to help other people in whatever way you can, then suddenly people won't even know what you do, but they'll want to be a part of it. They don't, it doesn't even matter what you do. They want to be in that energy field. And that's the power of purification is that suddenly the heart expands. It becomes bigger than the mind. Our, our inner compass, the true north becomes apparent and it's no longer a painful thing to figure out what it is. It might be challenging to reach whatever we're trying to reach in the material realm, like goal wise, for example, there might be work to be done, but because our attitude is in just such a loving way. Things happen for us. And even if we are challenged, we're able to move through it because we have the clarity of mind to see beyond it. We have perspective. And a really famous Hindu saying is, God in the mind, work in the hand. And what this means is, no matter what we do, if we stay rooted within our own divinity and the divinity that dwells within every living thing and inanimate object, no matter what kind of work we're doing, our intentions and our mind and our prayers are rooted in that divinity. So this saying, man me ram, hat me kam, in mind God, in the hand work, It's all about being dedicated to that higher purpose, no matter what. So even if you have to go and clean houses for a living or do something that you might not really want to do for yourself, maybe you have to go, maybe you're a doctor 
or maybe you're a lawyer, or maybe you do work that has to be really out in the world. And maybe there's a part of you that thinks there's something about that that's not sacred. And I have to say, the only thing about it that's not sacred is the attitude. Attitude is everything. Man meram, hath mekam means no matter what you have to do out in the world, if your intention and your heart is rooted in that awareness of divinity or God, if that word works for you, or the universal most high energy, then everything happens a little more easily. You're able to climb huge mountains with that attitude. But if you look at it all like a burden and you question why me and feel sorry for yourself, even the tiniest little hill is going to seem like Mount Everest and you'll have to drag yourself up it. But if you keep your attitude rooted in that divine awareness, and this comes through purifying the mind, through doing your spiritual practices, through remembrance of purpose, through asking what is my driving motivation and intention. You get clear on that. You purify anything that says otherwise within your own mind. And sometimes that means also letting go of other relationships in your life that say otherwise to you as well. Suddenly, you will fly over Mount Everest, so to speak, metaphorically. It'll become effortless ease every single thing you do. So the biggest thing with purification, especially I notice for me and a lot of people that I work with, it's all about attitude. How can we change our mind so that life is a celebration rather than a burden that we have to bear? Because when things wrap up, so to speak, when we, when we meet that moment where we no longer are going to be in a body, it's not going to matter how much money you have in the bank. It's not going to matter how famous you are. It's not going to matter how many books you published. What's going to matter is how present were you? How much of your heart did you dwell in? How much love did you share and receive from others? How much did you do everything in your power to alleviate suffering within every single person possible? That is what is going to matter because you can't take that bank account balance with you. You can't take your accomplishments with you. And part of purification is to get very clear on this, is to understand this, that chasing material realm will only lead to more desires and desires will lead to a muddled mind and a muddled mind will take you down that vicious cycle of letting every single thought Every single emotion run wild with you or have a play date with you, so to speak. When we get clear on our intentions, when we get clear on our driving why within ourselves, when we get clear enough to understand that we're here to live and love fully and that life can truly be a celebration, then suddenly that attitude is reflected in our work. That attitude is reflected in our interactions with others. That attitude is even reflected when you're cleaning your bathroom. Rather than think, oh, I have to clean the bathroom. This sucks. Think, I have a bathroom to clean. Do you actually realize how many people on this earth do not have that? So gratitude is a big part too. But to be gracious, we got to get clear. We got to be willing to know when to say no to things that don't serve us, whether that be a food item or an activity or a relationship. We've got to learn to say yes 
to ourselves. Yes, to things that serve us. Yes, to things that bring us greater vitality, a greater energy, a greater love and zest for life and others. And we keep saying yes to those things, the heart will expand more and more to the point where we no longer have to discern what's going to serve us and not because we just know it. It's already inherently in us. We have that knowledge. And then we live life from that place. When we live life with clarity, whatever our intentions are, whatever our heart has set out to accomplish, so to speak, in the realm of loving fully, living life in a way that is rooted in kindness and compassion, then there is absolutely everything available to us. Whatever we've dreamed, we can call into existence. Thank you so much for listening to Walking Dharma Podcast. Namaste.